卵の殻を破らねばヒナドリは生まれずに死んでいく我らがヒナだ卵は世界だ世界の殻を破らねば我らは生まれずに死んでいく世界の殻を破壊せよ Welcome once again to the Shadow Play Gaze.、Uh, we are a podcast that discusses the 1997 anime Revolutionary Girl Utena.、Uh, I am Derek Reining, one of your hosts. And my other host is an ally to girls. It's Christine Palin. I'm, I'm, I'm chivalrous, or someone say feminist. Uh, we'll、mm-hmm. get into the, the difference in the subtitle versus what Toga actually says.、Uh, but yes, I do consider myself an ally to girls. Thank you for remembering that.、Um, and yeah, we're here to talk about episode nine of Revolutionary Girl Utena, The Castle Said to Hold Eternity,、um, which I consider to be the first something shifted moment in、mm-hmm. the show, where for the first time you're like, oh, this is like going to get like darker than I thought it was. Um, so this, is a, this is a fun one. I've been looking forward to this one.、Um, juicy, I would say. Yes, very juicy.、Um, I feel like a lot is going on here visually, a lot is going on、uh, musically. That, like, I feel like even from the top of the episode, you know, something. Di- this is a very different sort of、uh, episode than maybe what we've seen before.、Um, we've seen like, more serious episodes up to this point, I feel like, but this is definitely. On a different sort of level.、Um, we don't get、uh, a, the Utna Prince story at the top,、mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting given how like, heavily that plays into、um, the actual plot of the episode. Yeah, I'll have a comment on that once we get a little further into the episode, because I, I do think it's really odd that that's not in here. But、um, before we get into that, do you have notes for our listeners about this one?、Um, yeah, like obviously, as a darker episode, I think that's just like a general sort of warning. But I, there, I think to be more specific, there's some like、uh, sort of suicidal ideation sort of going on here, like talks of like,、um, yeah, suicidal thoughts, I guess. Um, there's also some violence in there against Anthe.、Um, some, it's not really, I don't know, sort of,、uh, there's like a moment with Sayonji and Anthe that like reads almost on the border of like sort of sexual assaults. Like it, it can very easily be sort of read in that sort of way. So I guess those are just sort of general、um, warnings about this episode. But I think obviously the most prominent of those、uh, is. Utena talking about not wanting to be alive anymore, I think, is a big one. So, if those are things、uh, that are upsetting to you, then yeah,、uh, just something to watch out for. Yeah, they'll、episode. probably come up when we discuss、uh, this episode because it's, yeah, this is a darker one and shows us a different side of Utena's past that we hadn't seen before. And it's worth discussing.、Um, so, before we get into it,、uh, my little technical notes、um, the storyboards and the direction for this episode was done by Takuya Igarashi, who is another Sailor Moon alum. He worked on the last season, Stars.、Uh, he d- like, was credited on like, almost like, every episode in some capacity of Stars.、Um, and included, he directed the series finale, which Stars is not my favorite season of Sailor Moon. It has its moments, but I do think the finale is really beautiful.、Um, and he did storyboards for a couple episodes of Utena, but I believe this is the only one、uh, he directed. And、uh, this one was once again written by my boy Yoji Ada Kiddo.、Uh, so that's, that's it. Nothing. Super exciting. No、um, Darkwing Duck this week.、Um, <laughs> we can just get into it. So, we don't open on the Once Upon a Time, but I'll want to return to that later.、Uh, 
Um, and instead, we open on Utina's silhouette in one of the archways. She's like leaning against a column. And other girls run by and say that there's a duel happening, which she's like clearly like surprised to hear there's a duel happening. Yeah, I love that like subversion of um, almost like uh, we're kind of like the same as Utsa in that moment where she's come to live. The word duel has come to take on a completely different meaning than maybe it did for her before. Maybe once upon a time, her first thought would have been kendo or fencing or something else going on. But now she's like so wrapped up in this other world that... Um, something like a kendo match suddenly um, becomes not normal to her. Um, it's like a sort of flipping of what we would expect a high school girl's life to be like. Um, so I like that they play with that sort of idea um, at the top of the episode. And then uh, I love this whole little um, duel scene with Toga and Sayonji, mostly because of um, this decision to have these kendo swords sort of like in the place of people like every time someone makes a comment one of the swords sort of falls and makes a sort of clacking sound um it's just like very very interesting um and maybe at first you don't really understand what's going on but i think um the episode does a good job of uh i don't know like establishing very quickly like what's going on there um it's a really cool idea visually yeah the build the lead into this scene and this whole scene is really interesting i love the way like this show like had like gossip moves in Utina and like I love that these girls just run by Utina and say this and she hears it and she's drawn to it and you've got these girls all like watching kind of in the doorway and we don't see their faces and and we see Utina's face but um I yeah I just love the way the kind of movement of information in the school and the way you know people Utina's like kind of pulled into it and yeah the this the 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 kendo swords falling into place i think that was a detail i'd forgotten from when i had watched this episode previously or i didn't pay attention to it as much um because you've got you know like on beat of every comment of like of one of the it's all all girls uh cheering on either sayonji or toga um and uh when toga wins we kind of get utina like narrating the duel in a way, she's like, oh, he's not just a playboy. Student council president wins this time. And then a girl calls Toga her prince. And Utena's like, oh, like, I've, oh, yeah, I thought Toga was a prince, like, a few, a few episodes ago, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I believe in that moment, she also lights up, like, her, she suddenly, like, comes into frame in a way. Yeah. Like, she was also silhouetted up until that very moment. And then we sort of snap back into, um, like remembering that Utsuna like is not just part of the crowd um which they also do visually before when she's like represented by a broom uh, in the middle of all the swords which I thought was really funny um but also really interesting like what what's the sort of difference I guess between a broom and a sword I don't know um and this duel and the the practice swords get at something similar we talked about with fencing like versus the real duels that happen in the arena there's like more established rules. They aren't real. They're not for the Rose Bride. Um, and there's an audience, you know. And so f- we have we have like lots of different kinds of duels happening. We have fencing happening with Jerry and Mickey. We have the kendo duels with Toga and Sionji. And then the dual duels that we've been shown to that they these are like the thematically meaningful duels. But we see that this duel, like even though it's not, you know, it's just for practice it means a lot to Toga and Sionji. It's very loaded. It's just as loaded as the arena duels. There's just no 
the, 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 the conceit and like the prize to be won is less clear. Um, because this is where Togas like says Sionji, he's like, he's basically Sionji's like my only friend. <laughs> and Sionji, yeah, is not happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you're the one person I won't lose to. And this is like, I, I hated Toga and Sionji my first watch through. And I still don't like them. But the, like, I do appreciate, like their, their dynamic is really, really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. When I say, because I'm sure I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again, but yeah, like, I, when I say, like, I hate them, it's because they're just, like, I don't know, like, they behave in ways I don't enjoy. That does not make them any less compelling than anyone else in the cast at all. Like, if anything, they are even, like, they're more compelling for it, for being just, like, very awful, unlikable dudes. Um, losers. Losers. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, like, just because I don't like them as people doesn't make them any less interesting to talk about, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we get that, like you said, uh, Toga, I, like, obviously this jewel's very loaded, um, but it's very clear that Toga is maybe not taking it as seriously or is, like, sort of laughing. Like, he has, like, a smile on his face the whole time and he just like keeps saying these weird things and Sayonji just like is not having it at all. Sayonji seems very incensed the entire time and angry. Um and so when Toga says this thing like he says, um I believe like yeah like he's uh he's you're my only friend, I believe. Um but he says it almost in like a joking way. Um and obviously that really pisses Sayonji off. <laughs> um uh so it's yeah, it's an interesting dynamic for sure between these two. Yeah, this is like picking up on a like we. This is tends to be how their their dynamic is in like because I think I'm thinking back to the the second episode where like Sayonji's really depressed after losing to Uchina and Toka comes in just to kind of like like neg him and like mm-hmm. nudge him. and it's just like this 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 series of interactions between them where it's like Toga like knows how to press Sayonji's buttons and Sayonji takes it very seriously and like lets his buttons be pressed because Toga knows exactly how to get at him. Um, and yes, yeah, Toga seems to know, like be aware to an extent that like Sayonji has this like complex about him um, and revels in it a bit and wants to kind of like push him along with it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's absolutely like um, it's very different. I feel like from a lot of the characters, Toga feels like he has a lot more cards than the other characters or seems to have access to a lot more information than other people like um characters like miki we've seen and sayonji like seem to behave in ways that aren't totally self-aware um whereas toga it's like everything he does is very calculated and he knows exactly what he's doing at any given moment there's never um a moment that feels like he doesn't know what he exactly what he's doing um and that this episode definitely exemplifies that in a lot of ways, especially as we'll find out like later in the episode. Um, yeah, so we've got a, a sort of chess master in play here, which is yeah, interesting. juicy. And <laughs> so, but then the next scene is um, Sionji. Uh, oh, though, so we we cut to Anthe and Choo Choo in the rose garden, and Choo Choo's like playing with like a roly poly bug, and then a frog comes and eats it. And then Sionji sees Choo Choo and the frog fighting, and then he like yells at Choo Choo, why must you always come between me and Anthe? Yes. And, like, 
so I think there's some projection going on to Choo Choo now. <laughs> yeah, something, you know, you would think that having their bodies switched last episode, where they develop a sort of closeness, uh, a sort of understanding of each other, but... Um, it seems like it's almost like the Toga scene again, where Toga is like having fun and like sort of mocking the situation, um, but like cranked up even more. Like Choo Choo, a literal tiny cartoon monkey fighting a frog over a roly poly bug, and Sayonji like yells at him in a very serious tone. Um, and like when he kicks Choo Choo, it's like very distressing. Like, <laughs> yeah. even though it's like kind of played for laughs, it's still like you feel bad like we've seen him like smush choo choo under his foot before in like a comedic way this felt very different from that where he would like seem genuinely frustrated with the tiny little monkey yeah and then like utina shows up and i think this quote is really funny she's like your stubbornness is your worst worst trait i just think it's very funny for utina to like call someone out on being like stubborn (laughs) (laughs) utina it's when utina tenjo is calling you out on some bullshit you know something is wrong (laughs) (laughs) and and then he basically they have this like brief exchange where he's like I'm going to beat you. I'm going to win back Anthe. And she's like, well, you couldn't beat Toga. And he's kind of like surprised that she saw, like he didn't like notice that she was there. He's like, oh, you saw that. And then this is where Utena learns. In the, and we learn that Toga and Sionji have been friends for 10 years. Um, and she's kind of, and he basically says that the reason like he keeps dueling, like he wants to keep dueling. He's like, because if I don't win the duels, I'll never beat him. And so this is where like Utena finds out that like, she just says this line. It's just like so, like on the nose. She's like, "You're just competing against Toga. Auntie's just a pawn," and that's like exactly what's happening here. This is the where we realize that like the only reason he wants Auntie uh, to possess Auntie to possess the Rose Bride is so he can beat Toga, which I think is pretty gay. <laughs> it is uh, extremely, yeah. When <laughs> fellas, is it gay to want a girlfriend just to make a boy jealous? Um, <laughs> I think the answer is yes. Um, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. Like before, when we just thought he just wanted to possess Auntie, just because, like that was already very upsetting. Because, like, obviously, that's very dehumanizing to Auntie. But then there's just this even extra layer of even more, like, he doesn't even actually care about her at, like, at all. It's not even about possessing her. It's just about beating Toga. So I, it's interesting that they, like, decide to take this idea that um, Sionji, like, the duels for Sionji represent something, like, very negative for Anthe. Like, they just take that even more to the extreme, where it's, like, not even about her anymore. She's, like, hard... Like, she could be anyone. She could be, like, a literal object. Um, and it wouldn't even... It'd be the exact same situation for Sionji. Um, which is... It makes the whole diary situation even more, like, kind of upsetting, in a way. Where it's, like, what is the... Like, why would he even bother doing that? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, like, I think with the diary, it's, like, when he, like, has Anthe, when he, like, possessed Anthe in the way he wanted at the start of the series, like, he wasn't happy. Like, like he seemed, like, he, like, clearly was happy to have, like, something over Toga, but I don't think it, like, was, he didn't like Anthe, and, like, he was just, like, slapping her around, and he didn't seem, like, that stoked about it. And now he's lost her, and he's, so he's, like, even more, like, unhappy, because, like he's lost the thing that he thinks will make him better than Toga. And so I think this is another thing of him, of, of someone idealizing like the past of like, 
well, if I just get back on the, everything will be right again. And in, in the form of the exchange diary, it's like this private way he can like express that desire. Like Toga can't, that the exchange diary is private. It's something he like keeps in his shirt. Like Toga can't access that. Like that's something to, knowledge Toga doesn't have. Mm-hmm. I think of like, because like Toga knows so much, like what is written in the exchange diary, if he keeps it near him, like Toga can't know that. Interesting. Yeah. Thought on it. That makes a lot of sense to me. Like it's this secret little way of like defying Toga or winning against Toga. Um, and as we saw, like the thoughts in the diary, as far as we know, are not like lovey-dovey or like sentimental. They're purely about, I'm going to beat this person to win you back. It is still all very centered around the idea of winning in some mm-hmm. way, whether it's against Utena or Toga, apparently. Um yeah, like we said, they have known each other for a long time, and then we uh, get into these flashbacks. Yeah, so one thing I really love about the the Ikahara shows I've seen um, is that I love the way the like this is a big reveal when we get to this reveal that like Sionji and Toga met Utena like in like <laughs> years ago. I love when these reveals and like these kind of reveals in Ikahara shows aren't like played as like big reveals like the information is just like given to you like halfway through an episode and it's not like cut to commercial like drama it's just like there and like i'm thinking of like if there's a few moments in like penguin drum where there's a couple like big reveals that are just played so nonchalantly and you're like wait what and so like (laughs) did we we didn't know that before right and so i just love that this this whole like back backstory for toga and sayonji which we'll get into is just like all of this lead leading up to this reveal that they met utina and the, apparently no one remembers this i i just want to comment because i love the way like i just you're like wait what <laughs> like holy shit like this is really important information it's just kind of thrown at you right and it's um i think it's also very telling that um a lot of the time Utena, i mean i don't think there's just any at any point utina is like revealed in the flashback it's just her hair she's yeah. only ever in that sort of silhouette um and toga and sayonji kind of have moments where they also are silhouetted silhouetted but it's like for the most part we do see their faces uh in the flashback so it's almost like do they know that it was her like maybe they just think it was some other it's it seems girl. like they they don't know but and like it seems like Utina doesn't know because she hasn't like commented on like oh those are the kids who like came and saw me. It's like only for the viewers' benefit to like establish this relationship because it it seems like like Sayonji definitely doesn't seem to realize it's Utina, but like yeah. Toga like it's it's yeah. It's yeah because I, I don't think he ever like when he's telling the story. I don't think he ever says, and that was, like, he's just, like, a girl. Like, yeah. That's, yeah they he's obviously telling like, a story to her like she wasn't there. Right. So it seems like no one involved remembers, which is interesting. Um, but before we get to the church, we see young Toga, like, beating young Sionji in a duel and, like, wrapping his hand. Um, and I did want to kind of jump back to the Take Care, Mr. Nami episode, where Sionji has that line about, like, what, like, you, like, I can't remember about like what you will like take to be close to the one you love. Um, like the kind of abuse someone would take to be close to the one you love. I've seen people kind of look at this, that line in reference to, cause this episode was supposed to follow that episode in reference to Sionji and, and Toga's relationship. And that like Toga like keeps beating, beating him and like physically hurt and like hurting him in the duels and the Kendo duels and like kind of manipulating him and belittling him. But he's still, like 
they still have this like really intense close relationship and it's like I don't really we don't really know like how Sionji feels about Toga like I don't think he's capable of expressing all the complicated feelings he has about Toga but I think I, I wonder if to an extent he is aware of that kind of like what he is putting up with to be close to Toga um, yeah. yeah like when he says that line of the things you're willing to put up with I it's like he for sure has not thought about their relationship in that way mm-hmm. at all. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have that sort of self-awareness. I don't think. Um, and yeah, I think that moment of Toga wrapping Sayonji's hand is very interesting to me, just in terms of like thinking about why, what that says about Toga as a person. Um, because he, he tells us multiple times in this episode, he's very chivalrous. He needs to, he needs you to know that apparently. Um, but it's in the context of like tr- like women is who he's usually referring to there. Um, and so it's interesting that he, even though like we never really see him be very warm or caring to Sionji, who is ostensibly his only friend, according to him. Um, but he still does this little, he still wraps his hand after he hurts him. It's It's interesting to note that someone who seems as cold and manipulative um and cruel at times is still willing to do that for someone to wrap their hand when they hurt them also before i forget we haven't mentioned this far but like sayonji is his last name like sayonji's like one of the is like the only character in the show who's almost exclusively only referred to by his last name there's a couple instances where his like given name is Kyuichi but like everyone calls him Sionji just want to throw that because I I learned that recently I like thought in my mind like Sionji was his given name right but Sionji is his last name and like we do obviously there's a lot of times where you know people's given names are used uh, but you know he's calling Toga Toga um, and Toga's calling him Sionji just interesting because he's like the only character who's like exclusively referred to by his uh, family name Right, exactly, and usually that it like in uh that usually would denote a sort of level of formality or lack of familiarity. Um, like obviously we can understand why they wouldn't want to call both Nanami and Toga uh Kiryu because like that would just be confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like it makes sense why they would go by their given names, but then Jury, Miki, Utna, Anthi, we all call them by their first names. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, yeah, it's interesting that Sionji alone seems to lack that level of familiarity with the rest of the cast, or at least with the audience, um, where even we don't really get to hear him called that name. Uh, it's almost like they're telling us that we only get to know him by his last name. Like, there's still that sort of disconnect between us and him, um, which is interesting. I don't know if maybe there's, like, some other, like, cultural level to it, like, that has some other sort of meaning, um, but I, that's how I would read that decision yeah, as always, if folks have thoughts, they can write to us. But there will be times where his given name might come up, and we will kind of keep an eye on that and see who says it and in what context. But anyway, so after the hand wrap, so I just want to throw that out there because I've been meaning to mention that since I realized, I was like, oh my god, wait, that's like, <laughs> I never realized that you like almost never hear his given name. Um, so we, um, we like kind of like jump to this like first flashback of like the hand wrapping. And then we see Sionji say that like Anthe like told him that she desires something eternal. Um, and then we jump back to the, the past when they're riding on the bike together. I love this shot of Toga riding the bike 
and Sionji sitting behind him and holding on. Everything in this episode positions Sionji as being like beneath Toga in status in some way. Um, I mean, just in the student council, Toga is president, Sionji is vice president. Uh, who wins the kendo duels we see in this episode. Toga wins both the one in the past and the present. And then who's right in control of the bike and who's holding on. Toga's riding the bike. Sionji's holding on. Um, but I love the shot of them on the bike together. It's it's very cute. And very good. Yes, it is very, yeah. I mean, like, I, every, like, I feel like in most anime, that scene is literally like a, uh, it's a, a boy and a girl, like, and it's usually like in a romantic sort of situation. Um, so yeah, I, that's yeah. I love those shot that shot too, obviously. And I love that um, another shot where it's um, like almost the entire screen is taken up by this like sort of grass, um, and it's just like they're kind of like very small up in the upper third of the screen. There's a lot of really fun visual stuff going on here. Like there's a moment when uh, Sayoji puts his hand on the glass of the. Um, the greenhouse or whatever and it's covering Anthe as if he's literally reaching out to like hold her is how it looks um from the way the camera is positioned it's just uh, like this episode is really 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 well uh directed visually I think in a lot of yeah. ways I also love Toga young Toga and young Sionji's outfits I just yes. think they look cool <laughs> like they look cool like I, like I want to wear their clothes right yeah Sionji with the side pony I love mm-hmm. it it's very cute yeah Sionji um, should go back to that look I think it's a good look and like the little like turtleneck kind of moment he's having or whatever he's wearing it's yes. a look it is it's gorgeous um but as they're like riding the bike they, like Toga sees that there's like what like a church and he's like oh there's a funeral and Sionji wonders who died and then a man comes up and asks if they've seen a girl who lost her parents in an accident and she's like gone missing, but they haven't seen her. And as the, like the man walks away with another man, they wonder if she's been spirited away. Um, and it's my understanding that, that, that that's always almost always how that phrase is translated in English, but it means something closer to like being carried off by the gods. Right. Or like mm-hmm. got carried off by the spirits. If I'm not right. Mistaken. Yeah. It's not like uh, they're not saying like kidnapped really mm-hmm. in that moment. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's, and obviously that will come into play later. That sort of tips Sayonji off about something when he hears that exact phrase. Um, but it's interesting to note that Toga, like, seems to just instinctively know to, like, where to find Utsuna. Like, because Sayonji, like, comments on what the men are saying. And he's like, I don't think, like, I forget what he says, but he just, like, seems like, uh, like, almost, like, thinking about things, like, very practically. Where And then he, like, looks up at Toga, and Toga's, like, sort of looking off in the distance as if he knows exactly where to go find Utena. yeah and so they go and that's go into the church and there are three coffins in there and togan toga starts just opening one and sanji tells him to stop and is like screaming at him to stop and like cry, almost like crying um and he opens it and there's a little girl little girl with pink hair who the viewers immediately understand to be Utena. we kind of recognize her like child's voice um, and we, she's the only character on the show with pink hair. So we know it's her, <laughs> even though we don't see her face. Um, and this is where we get uh, Utena's really tragic backstory. He, he opens a coffin and she tells him not to open it. And he reaches in and touches her hair like he does when they first meet at the school. Again, it doesn't seem like either of them remember this interaction, but it's the same way when she like he like runs his fingers through her hair and then she, she slaps him in the ball episode. Um, he does the same thing, like reaches in the coffin and runs his fingers through her hair. 
And then this is where he says he's always an ally to girls. <laughs> he's chivalrous. Um, but if you listen, he says he's he's he does say he's a feminist. <laughs> oh, like I didn't even notice that. Does he say it in English? And I believe that's something. So there, there's like um, the translation that's on YouTube I, is not the most recent subtitle translation, I believe. I think that's not the one that was done more most recently for the like more recent Blu-ray release. And um, I do believe some of like the folks at Empty Movement were involved with the updated uh, oh. subtitle translation. So you can find on like the Empty Movement Tumblr like with notes about like things that they went like feedback they gave. Um, and I think one of the I like one of the like key points was changing chivalrous to feminist or at least including feminist at some point. Because um, I know in the mu- in the 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 fan subs that were done for like the musicals. Um, that I've watched, it is feminist in that. So I think that the like so there, yeah. So if you listen, he's saying feminist, but it is translated as chivalrous if you're watching on YouTube. Interesting, which obviously like that changes a lot. <laughs> like there's a, they're very <laughs> he's different. He's a male words. feminist. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he is. Um, like obviously, I think like chivalrous does have um, a connotation that implies it's a man. Uh, sort of acting in a way chivalrous toward a woman whereas feminist though is like a sort of um like chivalry is like a a code like a code of honor whereas feminist is like i don't know that's like saying so much more it's very different sort of (laughs) context to that word yeah Um, yeah, listeners can correct me if i'm wrong but i'm i'm pretty sure that that it, it like it's in the more recent subtitles it's been changed to feminist but i could be wrong but I mean, but that makes a lot of sense that he would say that um, and feel the need to constantly repeat it. This idea that he is an ally to girls, always, always an ally to girls. And he's a feminist. He's someone who advocates for the equality of women to men. Um, <laughs> and he's saying it's a Sionji, but also he's he's aware that there's a girl there, too, um, within earshot. Um, yeah, I do think it is interesting that his first instinct I think before he even says anything to her, he, like, grabs her hair, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, which I believe I noted, like, when he does it in the ball episode, it's a sort of act of, like, possession or, like, yeah. to physically grab someone like that. Um, especially, like, for a man to physically grab, a, like, a younger girl like that is, like, it has a very loaded sort of meaning to it. Um, and that's very true here, where she's in even in an even more vulnerable position uh literally almost in the catatonic state like just laying there um and he feels the need to grab her hair <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like, um on the the him like guess like you know being like i'm an ally to girls i'm chivalrous feminist you know whatever um you know, we, we've seen toga repeatedly again in this episode be framed as like a princely figure and we haven't talked a lot you know gotten into the weeds about what it, what is a prince but like Part of, I think, what most people would generally understand to be a prince is someone who does some, something for, like, a good reason. Like, we see princes as, like, heroic figures. And so I th- if it's having Toga be so consistently framed as this potential prince, it makes sense that he would see himself as chivalrous, as a feminist, as doing being an ally to girls. Because princes save girls, um, and that's a good thing, and that's, you know... That's allyship. <laughs> I guess. The A stands for Toga. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Utena is like, young Utena says, like, well, I belong in this coffin. Um, 
she says my parents died today this was a quick funeral <laughs> this was yeah. a quick they got them in the coffins pretty quick i think the funeral's actually the next day but you know they got them in the church real quick but her parents died and they're in the coffins next next to her and there's an extra coffin there so it must have been there for her which is living on makes me sick why does everyone go on living if they have to die someday there's no such thing as something eternal she says, I'm never going to come out of my coffin. If someone finds her, she'll just go find another coffin to hide in. She'll never come out into the sunlight again. Wig. <laughs> like, this is so, like, dark. It is. She's, like, and six or seven, and this is, like, very dark stuff. Absolutely. And, I mean, to me, of all that stuff, which is very, um, like, it's very harrowing stuff, but I think, to me, the one that, like, really hit me this time was when Toga, like, Toga asked her, like, well, what if someone finds you? And you said, like you said, she says, I'll just find another to coffin to hide in, which I think is like a really ga- great sort of like illustration of depression, where it's like, even if someone does everything right or whatever, someone does reach out and help you. Like if you're in that mind space, you're still going to find your way back into the coffin somehow. Like that is what you want. It's not that you, someone trapped you in there. She like no one forced her into that coffin. She climbed in there and she made that decision. And it's, like very it's yeah it's just a very upsetting sort of line um and upsetting scene for sure um and it's even more upsetting like i said given like this sort of power position that toga has over her right now where he's like literally holding her hair the whole time and it is like looming over her um it's it's yeah very very dark stuff like we said yeah and and she's our hero she's our protagonist we love it and it's like you know, whenever she talks about her past, she only talks about it in terms of the prince. Like, we've never heard her mention my parents died. Like, this is the first we're, like, really hearing, like, concretely, you know, because we knew, I think in the most part of time, it's like, their girl was very sad, mm-hmm. and the prince helped make her not sad. It's like, well, her parents, like, tragically died in an accident, and she wanted to die. And, you know, she doesn't, does she remember, like, you know, we don't know to what extent she remembers all of this. Um but it's yeah, it's it's quite the reveal to find out that our you know our happy, relatively you know upbeat, like himbo legend, um, <laughs> has this really dark past. And you know there was a time where she didn't want to keep living. And not only that, two of her classmates were there at like her darkest moment and like witnessed it, and they don't seem to remember either. Um. And Toga just, like, leaves. Like, he just, like, gets up and it's like, okay, like, Sayonji's like, we have to do something. And he Toga says, then show her something eternal. And as he says, then show her something eternal, the ba- bandage on Sayonji's hand falls. I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, that's, uh, I feel like I was struggling with that, too, trying to figure out what that means. Because that's why I was trying to, like, earlier trying to, like, talk out, like, what could the bandage really mean? Because it's, like... In order to figure out what the bandage falling means, you kind of have to really think about what does it being on there in the first place really represent. Um, I think maybe a way, like what, how I was thinking about that moment, um, is almost like um, kind of like the veil falling from Sionji's face in that moment, in a way, or like suddenly their relationship shifted in that moment um, to suddenly Toga's sort of like putting ev- like all this weight onto Sayonji. Like, so he just had to, li- he just listened to Toga talk to this little girl 
And this little girl essentially saying, if no one do, like saves me or does anything for me, I'm going to die. Um, and instead of, I mean, Toga, who's just said he's an ally to girls, who just said he's a feminist, is kind of just like, okay, whatever, you stay in your coffin, um, and walks away, like you said. Um, and Sayonji is the one who speaks up and says, aren't we going to do something? And mm-hmm. when Toga says, well, then just show her something eternal. Like, you do it, not me. It's not my job. I think in that moment, that's when Sayonji decides that he has to take on a more proactive like uh, role in their relationship. Before, I think maybe before he was cool with being on the back of the boat bicycle. He was cool with that. He didn't mind that part of the relationship. But in that moment, maybe that changed. And that's why the bandage falls. And suddenly mm. he has a mission. He His goal in that moment is to show this girl something eternal and be her prince. Um, so I guess maybe that would be my reading of that little shot that we get there of the bandage oh, falling. Mind. You're mine. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um I like that a lot. Um, and so the next day they come, they like come back. I, I like to think that they were like curious to see like what would happen. Uh, but they come back and they see that the girl has left the coffin. Uh, and we should note she now has a white rose like pinned to her chest. White roses are affiliated with the prince in the show. Um, and Sayonji believes that Toga went back without him and showed her something eternal. And we get this like shot of like young Sayonji like staring sadly and like angrily at young Toga being like, oh, he's always been ahead of me. And um, and now we have we get then we get Sayonji being like, you know, something eternal dwells in the ca- castle and Anthe and I will go to the castle together. And that's how I be I'll be Toga. And so it's this Sayonji feels like he missed his chance to be a prince like in that toga has access to, has had access to something he could he didn't have access to then and like didn't tell him about it and went behind his back essentially and was a prince and now he has to play catch up and one up him yeah um I, and I think that's also it's worth noting in that scene with like say like that flashback scene toga does like seem to like have a knowing look on his face when he's looking over um, at Utna, um, and it's, like, hard to know how much of this is what actually happened, or how much of this is just Sayonji projecting, which is a, a big theme for the characters, as we know, they like to project. Um, so, um, yeah, it's interesting, I think, that uh, Sayonji is, like we said, sort of just shifted this onto Anthe, and it makes me curious, like, what was it before all the Rosebride stuff? Like, was there, were there other things that Sayonji, I mean, Kendo, obviously, I think was a big part of it. Um, but it's, I'm curious if Sayonji, if this only maybe sur- resurfaced when the Rosebride stuff started. Mm. Um, maybe this was, like, just something that, like, he had, was, like, living with for a long time. And then when this opportunity arose, maybe he saw it as, now is my chance to prove that I can uh, outshine Toka as the prince. Um but I mean, maybe that's that could be safe for Utsuna, the middle school years for uh, those kids. Um, but yeah, I uh, it's interesting that once again, Anthe is being projected on by literally yeah. everyone. We, we like I love this kind of reveal that it's like he's like more like projecting 
passed Utena onto Ampi. It's like, because that's really who he's like thinking about is that girl that he couldn't save back then uh, that Toga, he thinks Toga beat him to saving. And he doesn't realize it's Utena, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's, he's really kind of projecting, um, he's projecting um, past Utena onto Ampi and present, he's projecting Toga like onto present Utena because Utena's the thing standing in between him and, and having this, um, which is wild. Yeah, I love that. There's so many layers to it. Um, and it's like, of course, like, I feel like none of the characters are even aware of that. Like, no. obviously, like, um, yeah, this idea that Utena is now sort of his new toga, like we said. I mean, the diary is like a great example of that because like we, we didn't see any illustrations of Toga. We just saw him standing triumphantly over Utena. Um, so it's also interesting to maybe note, maybe he's afraid to say this. Maybe is like, maybe is Utena the first person he's like told this to? Um, because in a lot of ways he seems kind of subservient to Toga or scared of him in some ways. So I'm curious to know if anyone else knows this or like, if. I yeah. don't like, I don't think he has any other friends either. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, mean, I can't see him Toga. telling Jury this. Like, Jury, like, wouldn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, he doesn't hang out with Jury or Mickey. Like, he only hangs out with Toga. And I don't see him, like, yeah, telling this to Toga. Um, speaking of Jury, the next scene is we cut to Jury. Sorry, she's a fucking narc telling Toga about Utena's prince. Yeah. <laughs> Jury, I'm sorry. I love her, but, like, <laughs> She just like it's really uncool. It seems like it's like was like a slow news day at the student council, because <laughs> like, we don't get them going up the elevator. It's just the three of them sitting there, and Jerry's like, "Oh, like Uta told me she had this like prince, <laughs> like <laughs> don't know, like." And Toga clearly didn't know that, like Toga, because he's been trying to figure Uta out, like find a way to get in there, and he's like, "Oh, a prince, like oh, he's like oh, she's a romantic." Um, and so, yeah, this is interesting information to Toga have, for Toga to have. And it's interesting that Jerry's the one who tells him that. Yes, she does. And I forget, do we even, like, see her face in that scene? I can't remember. I feel like I love Jerry so much. I feel like I, like, have memorized, like, every frame she's in. I, I don't remember. But it's the focus is definitely more on Toga, at the very least. For sure, yeah. I don't think Miki really says or does anything in that scene. But I think it is interesting. From what I remember, I don't know. I don't think we see Jerry's face in that moment, or at least not for very long. Um, so I think it is interesting to note that pretty much the only women in this episode that really get any focus are Utena, obviously, then Auntie a bit, and even then she also has a very reduced role in this episode. All about um, the boys. Yes, it's just interesting to know about uh, an episode that's about a self-proclaimed feminist who's always <laughs> an ally to girls. Um, so yeah, we get, like you said, Jerry rats out Utena pretty instantly. Um, <laughs> it's safe to assume that Utena has not told anyone about Jerry's whole business that she learned. <laughs> okay, but, like, I don't think Utena, like, like... Registered. <laughs> registered any of that. Like, she definitely didn't clock Jerry the same way Jerry clocked her. And, like, Utena seems to, like, it goes, like, one ear out the other, I think. Like, I think she would need to be reminded of, like, what conversation she had with Jerry. Um, She'd be like, oh, yeah, something about miracles. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, for uh, sure. Um, I just think it is interesting that everyone seems to, like, open up to Utena. And then they don't, like, afford Utena that same sort of courtesy of, like, 
Uta is not like out there like Uta, I mean obviously a part of it is because Uta is like probably doesn't remember or doesn't like understand the significance of these confessions to her but everyone else treats Utina's like life as sort of like valuable information especially especially the student council members it's like uh we have something new on her that we can use against her um and obviously yeah like we said that piques Toga's interest here uh he repeats he says, ah, Prince, like, he uh, is very intrigued by, by that idea. I think he heard Utena use that word before, maybe, mm-hmm. but I don't think he had, like, any context for it. Um, but now he seems convinced that, um, or he seems to figure out that the Prince in Utena's story is very similar to him. Yeah, because... Um, they had that moment at the ball where she's like, oh, I thought you might be, but she doesn't finish. So I like to think that Toga has now like put two and two together and he realizes, oh, she is a prince and she thinks that's me. Yes. Because um, he couldn't quite tell what the connection was there. He, like, he, I think he could, he obviously was interested in her and like he was able to pick up that she was interested in him, but he couldn't like, but then she suddenly stops being interested in him. And I think she, it's because she, he is now realizing she thought I was his, her prince. Then she thought I wasn't. But if I behave in a certain way, I can make her think I'm her prince again. And which is exactly what he does in this episode or he tries to do. Um, and we cut. So that goes to like cuts to commercial. And when we come back to come from commercial, we have like Utna standing alone and she's like remembering her prince. And it's, I think the reason we don't get the Once Upon a Time segment at the beginning is because we basically get it like a, a brief version of it here of Utena just talking to herself, being like, the prince gave her a ring. It'll 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 we'll meet again. Um, so that was kind of my thought is like we don't get it at the beginning because we kind of get it here. Uh, this kind of condensed version of Utena just like talking to herself. Yeah. And it's interesting that we get it from her perspective here of like or her present day perspective where she's kind of just like says it like. Yeah, he probably wanted... This is probably an engagement ring. That's probably what this is. Um, But she says it in a very sort of, like, dispassionate way. Um, She's, she's like... He was probably her first... Like, my first love. If, like... She just says it, like, very matter-of-factly. Like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me, sure. Um, God love her. Um, But, yeah, then (laughs) Toga shows up, um, and he's... With, like, a cold can of, like, iced tea. Like, what a jerk. Like, he yeah. just walks up behind her and, like, puts it on her face. Like, <laughs> Dick move. Yeah, does the old ice cube down the back of the shirt thing. Like, what an asshole. Um, but then, uh, I believe, what does he do to, like, make the rose the roses show up? He, like, grabs... Well, first, first she asks him, like, if, what, what about the castle in the sky? And asks if he knows uh, what it is. And he says, the castle in the sky is where you'll meet your prince someday. And Utena gets mad. She's like, oh, someone told, like, she's like, oh, who told you about that? And then he grabs her around the waist and pulls her, like, really close. And this is where she starts blushing, and he's framed with white roses. So, again, the first few times we met Toga, he was framed with white roses. And then for a while, he was being framed with red roses after Utena seemingly kind of was like, oh, maybe he's not my prince. But now he's being framed with white roses again. Again, white being the color of the prince. And Toga's like the only, I think the only character who gets framed with two colors, red, his own color, and the color of the prince. Yes. Uh, and yeah, it's interesting that he like instantly picks up on like, oh, your prince was someone like me. Um, he uses that phrase multiple times, I think. Um, and so he's, I don't know, so, so much of what Toga does reminds me of like a snake or like a predator in some way where he like instantly... You can tell the gears are turning in his head, and he seems very amused by things. Like, he's, like, playing with his food a little here. 
uh, where I, he probably already kind of knew. He probably, like you said, he probably had already put two and two together that Utena had these thoughts about him. And, like, maybe him grabbing her was just to, like, confirm it 100%. Um, and her reaction told him everything he needed to know in that moment of, like, yep, she is convinced that I'm this prince, so I guess I should start acting like one, at least to her. Um, yeah. Performing us uh, the role that will be most beneficial for him to be able to control her. Yes, because it used to be, before it seemed to be boyfriend or, like, romantic interest seemed, like, that was, like, his go-to. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, trying to woo her, and now it still kind of is a wooing situation, but it is very, it's a lot more specific. It's, I'm going to be this childhood, this thing from her childhood that she cherishes so much, that's how I'm going to get in mm-hmm. possession of Utena. Um, and then we get Shadowplay Girls. Well, first we get oh. Sayonji finding the letter from End of the World, right oh, before yes. Shadow Girls, and we see the cute little framed photo of him and Toga as kids <laughs> on his desk. So clearly he does, like, have, like, think fondly about their childhood to the extent to have this, like, framed photo of them smiling together on their desk. Um, just want to make sure we attention to that because like again like a photo is like a still image from the past um but yeah then so Sayonji gets this letter and he's like really stoked about whatever it says and then we get the shadow girls um so I've written down what exactly happens and then we can get into it so one girl thinks that something is a UFO and the other one thinks it's a shooting star and that there's no such thing as UFOs and the girl who believes in UFOs she's like spinning for two plates and then the, the girl who doesn't believe in UFOs throws a third plate at her. And the girl who believes in UFOs remembers when she found out Santa Claus wasn't real when she was in kindergarten. She says, I know wizards, fairies, princes on white horses, and kind-hearted friends only exist in fantasy. So can't you just let me have UFOs? And they're both. And then we cut to them both spinning plates. And as the scene ends, we hear the plates crash. What are your thoughts? I think, you know, that's that's it. It's just about spinning plates. There's nothing yeah. else to it. There's no there's nothing else to this at all. Um, I mean, obviously, I think it's very much about um, Nanami's favorite word, disillusionment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, uh, like, the fact that they specifically call out princes and kind-hearted... On white fr- horses. White horses. Um, and, I mean, we will hear this phrase again later, I mean, at the very end of the episode of... Um, people who think that there are actually, like, whatever Toga says about friends, like, they're not real. Um, like, we get it here first from the Shadowplay girls. Um, obviously, I think this, uh, this like, could you could probably slot this into any episode, and I feel like it would make sense for what's <laughs> yeah. going on, because, like, this is just, like, a great encapsulation of, like, the problem that a lot of these characters have. or I mean, not necessarily problem, but, like, the thing that a lot of them are dealing with is this idea of fantasy and the loss of that fantasy at some point. Some people, like the girl with the UFO, like, some people just want to cling to that. They want that. And others, like the other girl, are trying their best to (laughs) snap the other person out of it, like, regardless of their feelings. Um, But it is interesting to note, though, at the end of it, uh, the girl who was, like, trying so hard to convince the other one um, that UFOs aren't real, like, joins in at the end, um, almost, like, in solidarity, or <laughs> is, like, kind of revealing that maybe she believed in UFOs, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like this is a very, very interesting one. It's, I mean, it's very funny to hear, the like, the phrase, like, wizards, fairies, really good friends, like, the, like to put <laughs> all those on, like, the same level of fantastical 
is like comical, but it also is very sad um, and tells us a lot about these characters. I think um, these characters mean like Sionji. Everyone's sort of involved in the main plot of this episode. You ate that. You ate. <laughs> um, I, I think the one th- thing I would also add is like within the context of what we see with like young Utna in this episode, when she's in the coffin, like she has she she's been disillusioned because she's now for the first presumably the first time uh confronting death and confronting the fact that like everyone will die one day and that there's in in the moment she believes there's no such thing as something eternal um and all the only pieces of the puzzle we have are that so far that we know she was in this state and then allegedly she met a prince and now she believes in princes and it's all all good and and wants to be a prince and this seems to be the thing that's driving her so we could compare utna to the girl who believes in who just wants to have ufos and like it's like i i've i've seen that the the these things don't exist but like and you know, the same way utna was like confronted death at a very young age and all we know is that she came out of it somehow super optimistic and super into princes um and so it's definitely just interesting that uh we this is where we they, that we get the shadow girl segment in the very episode where we learn about utina going from this very like depressed state to somehow really believing in princes and like having something to keep her going yes like and UFOs. It's, <laughs> it is a lot like ufos um i think it is also interesting though that she at no point talks about the prince as if it is something eternal Mm-hmm. Like she doesn't think about it in the same way that Sionji or Toga are thinking about it, or even Ati supposedly is talking about things in terms of something like eternal. Um, she just knows she wants to find her prince um, and be a prince. That's all Utena knows. It's not. So it's it's interesting to note that she at no point claims that this is something eternal, or doesn't seem to think like we don't get that sort of like one to one. Like, oh, she needed to see something eternal. The prince is something eternal. Now she, like, is fine. It's just that she found something else to be a sort of driving force for her uh, in the present moment. And I guess that sort of asks the question, what happens when she finds the prince? What happens when she becomes a prince? Is that going to be enough? I think that's maybe something the show is... I mean, doing that, they are kind of setting up that sort of dilemma for Utena of, like... I mean, even that mission, presumably, will ideally, that mission will come to an end. Ideally, you'll find the prince, but then what does that mean? Um, but, you know, for now, we don't know where her prince is. Maybe her prince is Toga. Um, so, for now, it can be eternal, I guess, at least for her. She can keep spinning those plates. <laughs> I just want to say, I think we should make a compilation of every time we say something in the show is interesting. Because <laughs> it is. <laughs> I feel like every, everything that happens, we're like, that's so interesting. <laughs> but it is. This is a very interesting show. Yes. Um, I've just like, as I've like, we've been recording and like, as I've been, every time I edit an episode, I'm like, we say interesting so much. But it is. It's good. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we need to like just get at the source. It's 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 uh compelling. It is compelling. It's uh it boggles the mind. What's that Lady Gaga video where she's like this <laughs> <laughs> shove it in a blender, <laughs> <laughs> unafraid to reference or not reference? Yes, <laughs> that's, that's like, actually yeah. She that is her. T- she must be talking about Eugenia. Unafraid to reference or not reference. Yeah. Never been done before. Um, 
Okay, so after the Shadow Girls segment, we get Utena looking for Auntie in their dorm, and she just finds Choo Choo snacking on like some like crackers, and a phone. The phone rings, um, and it's a man's voice, and we get this little cut where we can tell it's Toga. We see the red hair, um, and he tells her that um, Auntie was spirited away, and that sh- she needs to go to the dueling arena, um, which is again the language that those men used to describe um utina um when she was young of course she doesn't she wasn't there for that she doesn't remember that but we as a viewer know that utina was described as having been spirited away um and and so then um again toga we're like we only see toga on using phones on the show so far which Mm -hmm. is something to to track maybe what kind of character is getting to use the phone (laughs) and it's not a cell phone this episode yeah, yeah, he's not only online this episode, but still, we don't see a ton of phones on the show, and it's always been Toga. Um, so just something to track, potentially. Mm-hmm. One of the many things we're going to be tracking, there's really many yeah, like, that's, objects, <laughs> symbolism. We say, this is interesting, and we say, we have to track this. Those are <laughs> That's the shadow play gaze in a nutshell. <laughs> and so we cut to Sayonji trying to get into the dueling arena. He has dragged Anthe to the dueling arena against her will, because he believes... A letter from End of the World has told him that the castle is coming down from the sky tonight. Yes. Um, and he seems to think that's a good thing, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this was that scene I was referencing earlier that I feel like is intentionally reading in a way where it feels like Anthony is almost being violated here. Um, she like t- tells Sanji that sh- he's hurting her. Um, that she can't do this with anyone but whoever she's engaged with. Um, it is, I think, sort of the intent there is to feel very much like something very not okay is happening. Like, Anthe is feeling very violated in this moment um, with Sionji. Uh And then we see him hit her very hard with, I think, the like the dull end of his kiddo st- it, No. He's, he like, has- holding it. Yeah, and he, like... Fully Picture just like yeah, and she flies pretty far, um, and she just like we don't even see her face. She's like turned away from him, um, and then he grasps the handle, and I believe that's when we cut to black, right? Yeah, because then it like cuts to like Utina arriving, and she finds she literally trips over Sionji, <laughs> passed out in the water. So something has happened here, um, between when we last saw Sionji. And she slaps him awake. It's fun to see Utina slap Sionji. And, of course, dem- demanding to know where Anthe is. Because all she knows is that he's she's been spirited away. And she also, in in, in doing so, it's, reminds him of the rules of the duels. He's like, you have to, do, like, you can't just take her. You have to duel me. Um, and she tell, that's when she tells him that Anthe's been spirited away. And this reminds Sionji of young Utina. Um and they see that the door to the dueling arena is already open. Interesting. Yeah. And we don't get Zetai Unme Mokoshiroku. They just we just they just go straight up the stairs. I would love to have seen them just like running up the stairs together. <laughs> yeah, as the music like is trying to start up, like, oh shit. Uh, <laughs> um yeah, it's inter- the music in this scene is very, very interesting. We don't get the the absolute destiny apocalypse. We do not get um a song with lyrics in it. Um, when they first arrived, it's some very, like, terrifying music. It's, like, very upsetting music as we get the reveal, uh, as the coffin opens. It's almost like a horror movie. It is creepy, yeah. 
Um, like, so they see this coffin sort of up. It's upright and it's facing them. Um, and it's the exact same coffin. It looks like it has the rose seal and everything that uh, Uchina's parents were in and the one she was in. And we, it slowly opens and we see Anthe in it. Um, yeah, we see, like, Anthe's, like, grayed out at first. And then we see her. And she's also, it's filled with white roses. It's, like, Anthe on top of, like, a bed of white roses. Yes. Um, and she just, she seems to be asleep or something. So, like, she's mm-hmm. not really reacting. She's just in there. Um, and we don't really know how she got in there. If someone put her there, we don't know. Um, but at this point, I believe, is when... Um, the, does, no, the castle doesn't start to fall until after suddenly the arena starts to, like... Uh, like, these pillars seem to like start to pop up out of the arena. Um, it's almost like the fact that, like, they showed up here is, like... It is upsetting sort of the balance of things in this moment. Yeah, we get, um, we get like, the line as we see the coffin creaks up when we hear young Utena once again say there's no such thing as something eternal. Um, we can presume that, like, Sionji is remembering that. Um, of course, not necessarily know, knowing that um, that's Utena. And, yeah, like, that suddenly columns start, like, springing up. That's the only, like, they're just, like, black columns, like, mm-hmm. and one springs up right under Utena, but not under Sionji. Um, and... Utena starts, like, jumping across them to save Anthe as the castle starts crumbling from the sky. And Sionji's, like, delighted to see the the castle falling from the sky um, and asks for end of the world uh, to grant him eternity. And, but as, like, the pieces are falling, he gets seems to get, like, distressed. Um, it's, it's This is a wild scene. Yeah, it's very dreamlike. Um, and it is interesting that they use the student ca- it's the student council music, I believe. Yes. The music that we hear when the student council, the elevator, um, and it suddenly is very terrifying here. I feel like usually when it's playing, when the student council is, like, going up the elevator, it's very, like, pompous. Mm-hmm. Whereas here is, like, very stressful um, it, and, like, adds a lot of weight to what's going on here. It feels like the end of the world, honestly. Like, yeah. just everything is falling around Ustana. Um, and at one point, Sionji gets crushed, apparently, um, by, like, pieces of the castle. Um, and, uh, but fortunately for Utsuna, she gets to Anthe, um, and pulls her out of this coffin. Yeah, well, it's, it, she doesn't really pull her out of it. She touches her hand, and then the coffin disappears. Mm-hmm. And, like, everything's, and the columns disappear, and this castle is we see is perfectly fine in the sky. So she does like reach Anthe and she does touch her hand and make contact with her. And it's when she touches her that the, the coffin disappears. But it's like everything goes back to normal. So was this all just a trick of the light? As uh, Sionji described the castle the first time. It's it, you know it's it's thinking back to that first duel. You know for him to describe the castle as oh a trick of the light. Um, and but to see him here, he really does like imbue a lot of meaning into the castle and like wants to see it fall. But when it does actually fall, it's actually pretty scary. But then it's when he finds out it didn't fall, he feels like cheated. <laughs> and he's got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, he's gone through a big emotional journey just in this little moment. It's, I'm always, I've always been curious, like, does he did he experience that moment of like the piece of the castle falling on him? Like what? Like from his perspective, like what happened there? Did he feel something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. Um, 
Sayonji, write to us. Yes, please. Um, but yeah, like we said, suddenly uh, it, it feels like I think dreamlike is I think the best word for it because it's so surreal and then suddenly everything snaps back to normal and it's like, it's almost as if nothing happened. Um, but Ati uh, and Utsuna, like Utsuna is checking on Ati to make sure she's okay. And then Sayonji comes up from behind um, with an actual sword. Like we said before, this is something we noted before. He switched over from the Kendo sword to the real sword a long time ago. Um, and now he's ready, presumably, to straight up murder Utsuna. Yeah, like he tries to kill her because he says he sees Utsuna holding Anthe and says, I was the one who was supposed to save her this time. This is because the Zora becomes abundantly clear. He is projecting Toga onto Utsuna and and young Utsuna onto Anthe, which is, again, so funny to me. Like just the level because he doesn't realize how ridiculous he's being, of course. But um yeah, like Utna was the girl is the girl he was trying to save years ago, but now he's that now she's the girl he's blaming for all of his problems. Yeah. And yeah, he goes to try to basically kill Utna. Yeah, and, he wants to kill the girl he wants to save. Yeah, and he but he's not aware of that, of course. Um, and we get this great shot on the red background of Toga like jumping to take the blow from the sword. It's just so, and that's the bells are tolling. It looks really, really cool. Just the silhouettes on the red background looks really cool. Yeah, very gorgeous. And the bells, obviously, we only ever hear those when a duel is won. Mm-hmm. Um, but this like changes the context a lot. Um, for me, like the bells usually feel like wedding bells whenever it's like a, another duel. But then in this scene, it's almost rem- reminiscent of like presumably like the funeral sort of the church that they were at before for the funeral. Um, it's, they feel very different in tone here, um, and we don't cut to them either. We don't see them. We just hear them like gonging as Toga falls to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I believe we fade out from that, right? Like, well, we get this little exchange first of like being like, I think Utina asked Toga why he did that, and he says because your prince was a guy like me, wasn't he? And Sayonji is just de- like defeated. It's I think it's interesting that Toga has beaten him by letting Sayonji cut him with his sword. Yes. <laughs> um, that is like you know that is it's just an interesting he because he Toga won by doing that because he like it it's not about it's about uh, they they just do this complex dance to, to like do their little weird relationship, but like. Yeah, like Togo won by being injured by Sayonji. He won. Um, and like, I don't remember what prompts this, but like Togo once again says, because I'm chivalrous. Um, um, and yeah, then we fade to Toga on the phone, surrounded by it looks like at least a couple girls, like he's in bed because he's been injured. And it, we don't, we only hear Toga's end of the conversation, but it's, he's presumably on the phone with End of the World whatever whoever that is because we he says i'm i wrote the letter to sayonji in your name and we know that the letters come from apparently come from end of the world so toga is telling end of the world whoever that is that he has impersonated them to get sayonji to kidnap anthi and sayonji is now being expelled yes and so yeah end of the world is someone who can use a phone yeah uh, <laughs> but i mean that I mean, I mean that's funny, but also like it is interesting that they have a voice. Whoever this person, like, it's a, this... it's another big reveal. 
Yeah. Like, it's kind of the just world... tucked into the details of this episode. Right. Um, and it's like, it's like very much like a blink and you miss it sort of situation. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. that is end of the world. Like, we know that um, now. Um, to me, I think, obviously, like, we end the episode on him saying basically kind of what the Shadowplay girls were saying, which is this idea of, like, true friendship isn't real. If you believe in that, that's a fantasy. Um, but to me, I think the most noteworthy part of that scene is the faceless girl. They, I believe they're, like, three different women, like, lounging around him. Um, and I think that's why I brought attention to the fact that we don't really see Jury in this episode, and it really feels like Utna and Anthea are really the only women that we, like, see their faces in this episode or really, like, hear from. Um, I think, and it's also worth noting that, like, in the very first scene of this episode, women are represented by literal objects in mm. the form of the kendo sticks. Um, I think that's... Uh, that, that, that first scene is kind of very telling of how presumably Toga sees these women. They are objects, they are faceless, they are presumably things to be used. Um, well, again, I'm confused, man. You told us you're a feminist. I don't know what to believe anymore. <laughs> He's a male feminist, so yes. <laughs> we, we know we know <laughs> that he, he's... Um... He's a little too insistent on the fact that he's a feminist to the point where he becomes suspicious. Yes. Um, but yeah, this is a really good episode. Uh, again, like we get put a compilation of every time we say like this was a good episode. But no, this is again I consider this to be the first major turning point in the show. Um, first of many, I believe this episode is just constantly something is constantly shifting in the show. Um, but you know we we're getting a lot of critical backstory here. Um, putting together some more pieces of the puzzle of these characters. And I think what I what I do appreciate about this episode, just as a concept, is that, like, with Jury and, and Mickey, with their duels, we get their little backstory and their motivations before they duel Utena. Um, like, they duel Utena at the end of their respective episodes. Um, but Sionji, he's our, like, first arc little, like, mini-boss. Mm-hmm. And we're just only introduced to him as that is his position in the story as this thing to person to be defeated and to overcome so we can move along the plot and we don't get his motivations until like nine episodes later. <laughs> and so I just think it's an interesting thing, uh, way to do that. Um, cause right. we're now, we didn't have that full story on, on Sionji, but in retrospect, when you go back to those first couple episodes, he starts to make a little, a lot more sense, especially his insistence on like treating Anthe poorly um, and not obeying the rules and like how Toga is the one trying to impose the rules of the of the rose seal on him and his like defiance in that. It makes a lot of sense why he's trying to be defiant in in, the, in Toga's face in those early episodes, because he believes he has something that makes him better than Toga now. And he's like, I, I don't have to listen to you. Yeah, that's yeah, it makes him <laughs> his dickishness now makes a lot more sense. But yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I do also like that. The, I mean, the show kind of did present a version of, like, his motivations, like, I think you could, like, um, like, there's a version of show, the show where he just is motivated by wanting to possess Anthe, mm-hmm. and we don't get this backstory about Toga or anything like that, um, but this just adds, like, even more depth to him, and it adds more depth to Toga, too, it tells us a lot about both of these characters, um, and I mean, I feel like we come out of this episode, obviously, like, 
we hear from Sionji a lot, and we don't really hear from Toga a lot, but I feel like we learn a lot more about Toga in this episode than we do Sionji in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. at least in terms of, like, who Toga really is or um, the kind of person he is. Like, I think before, it was kind of unclear. Like, even, like, the, all the characters themselves seem very confused. Like, Utena is like, maybe he isn't so bad. Maybe he is. Like, everyone seems kind of, like, on the fence about who Toga is. But I think by the end of this episode, you can kind of land pretty firmly in he is up to no good. <laughs> like the fact that he's willing to like do this elaborate ruse to expel his only friend, according to him, um, it says a lot about who T- uh, Toga is, and I think really establishes for sure like how the characters should be, or at least Utena should be a lot more scared than she is of I mean, at this point, she seems <laughs> to be convinced that he is, um, if not her prince, then a very princely person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very clear that that's not what's going on with him. I like this sort of like dramatic tension they've established here, where we, the audience, know that Toga is a manipulative asshole, um, but nobody else seems to have caught on to him yet. Yeah. Well... Our next episode is going to be episode 10, um, which is Nanami's Precious One. Um, Get more Nanami. We're so excited. Um, So I had initially paired this episode and the next episode because they're both... Spoiler alert, Nanami likes Toga a lot, as we've (laughs) seen in previous episodes. These are, these are both, these two are both, like, very Toga-heavy episodes. I thought about pairing them together, but they're both so juicy. Obviously, we ended up splitting them up. Uh, But we're going to continue on seeing the way, this episode's very much how Sionji sees Toga, and the presence Toga has in his life, and who knows, we might see a little more about Toga, how other people see Toga in this next episode. I don't think Nanami's going to talk about Toga at all in her episode. No. Maybe in passing, but that's not <laughs> yeah, no. uh, yeah. I'm a, I We're getting a lot more Nanami in this first section of the show than I remember. I mm-hmm. um, So I'm very, very excited uh, for next week's episode. Um, it's a good one. <laughs> I, that I think we can put at the end of, I mean, <laughs> general spoiler warning for Utena, it's a good show, and most of the episodes are very good. Um, but yeah, so... Um, Thank you for talking through this very, very uh, something shifted episode, as you described it, um, with me. Um, And I can't wait. We're kind of coming up to the end of this first little chunk of episodes here. Yes. Uh, Which means we'll have a mailbag episode sometime soon. So please do remember to send us. We got another question since our last episode. So I'm like so excited to talk about them. Most of them are from my friend Simone so far. So (laughs) <laughs> love you Simone doesn't even listen to the podcast <laughs> she just has questions about Utena but she'll definitely she's listened to a few episodes watch her list, actually be listening to every single one and then she'll be mad I said that um, <laughs> yeah again it's in the, the Twitter bio but speaking of social media Derek where can people find you yes uh, they can find me at Rain Derek's on Twitter R-E-I-N-D-E-E-R-E-K-S um but and they can find us at ShadowplayGaze on Twitter. Uh, you can also listen to me and with my friend Sam, our friend Sam, uh, talk about Legend of Korra currently. Um, but once we finish book one, uh, I think we will have maybe one or t- two or three weeks between that and the next season of Survivor. So you can listen to us talk about 
who the hell knows? Um, at Bridgers Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Nice. And you can find me at xteen underscore files on Twitter. Um, and if you like the reality television program Survivor, um, you know, Derek and I are just casual Survivor fans. Not mm-hmm. a big deal. Um, I write about Survivor on InsideSurvivor.com. You can read my writing on there. I will hopefully be doing stuff for the new season um, if Martin lets me. Um, and, yeah, those are my two big things I have going on. I'm moving to Montreal in a couple weeks. If so, if any of our listeners live in Montreal and want to be my friend, <laughs> hit me up. Um, also, if my brain isn't functioning at high levels over these next few episodes, that's why. It's because I'm making an international move. Um, Derek and I are pre-recording some of these like in short succession. So I apologize if the content isn't as coherent. I'm having to record these on the floor because I sold my desk chair. Um, <laughs> so we're doing great. Um, Look, if someone's listening or is watching Utena and expects coherence, I don't know what they're expecting. <laughs> uh, yes, so we'll be back uh, next week for episode 10, Nanami's Precious One. Cannot wait. Hell yeah, I bet it's going to be... That kangaroo better be there, or the elephants. <laughs> I'm going to be pissed. There better uh, be at least one animal. Absolutely. Um, thank you, Christine, so much for talking to Utena with me, and thank you all for listening. Thank you, Derek. Bye. Bye.